The holiday season is now upon us. The year is absolutely flying by, and the news never stops. That's why we at the DSR Network have expanded our programming to cover even more of the world's events. We hope you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of November, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code STUFFING at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code STUFFING. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the DSR Network. This is that time of the week when we talk about things that have to do with intelligence and related issues. This is our spy show. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Rothkopf, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and joined by um, my friend and your other co-host, Mark Polymeropoulos. Where are you today, Mark? I am uh, I'm back in, uh, in Northern Virginia, still battling this kind of like death virus on day six. I, I, th- I think every time I'm I'm talking to you on the show. I'm sick, but I'm I'm finally getting better, and I am thrilled of our about our guest today. Who, David, I will promise you, has a lot of dirt on me, including, <laughs> and and uh, and he's going to know when I say this now. A a legendary nickname that stuck with me for many years after our time together up in northern Iraq. Wow. So well, I'll, I'll let uh, our guest. Uh, I'll let our guest. Uh, well, take it well let there. me introduce our guest, and then he can <laughs> share the dirt. You know, uh, he's a. Uh, uh, Mick Mulroy is a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East. He's a Middle East Institute Senior Fellow and the co-founder of the uh, Lobo Institute, also a National Security Analyst for ABC News. Welcome, Mick. What's the dish on Mark? I don't remember his nickname. I got a lot of dirt, but what was the nickname? Do you remember uh, your uh, your uh, your fellow Grand Branch officer saw my uh, my facial hair and he came up with a nickname for me? Uh-oh. It was the all right. I'll I'll give it. It was the fighting lamb chop. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I do remember that. I yeah, had these big okay. sideburns. Yeah, yep. And yeah, it was the fighting, and that I that do. lasted from December two thousand and two till I retired in July of two thousand nineteen. To my great regret, stuck. I did not. Know I would hear people are. call it in the hallway, and I did not like it. But uh, it uh, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> I gotta tell you, now I, I want to call it was a Greek thing too. See, it just reminds me too. of the yeah. Sherry, the Sherry Lewis show when she had a little puppet called Lamb Chop. Um, uh, you know, back in the back, <laughs> I do remember that a long time ago. There's worse. There's worse nicknames, brother. Please, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Well, and 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 folks, if you're listening and you've got a worse nickname for Mark, please send it in. We'll yeah, talk great. about it on next week's show. It'll uh, be uh, weekly. Uh, well, look, Mick, let, let me get serious here for a minute. Um, uh, and obviously, uh, given your experience in the Middle East, I want to talk about the situation uh, there. But I'd like to do it in a way that I, I haven't heard many of the discussions go. You know, there, there there's a lot of discussion about 
the moral argument for the Israeli response given the attack on October 7th. And there's some discussion about the moral arguments for Palestinian resistance given the way they've been treated during the occupation. And then there's, you know, the push back and forth on all of those things. And there's the politics of Bibi and some of the lunatics around him, including one minister who said we should nuke Gaza recently, Um, uh, and the politics that exist here in the United States. But what I'm not hearing a lot of analysis about is, is the Israeli army going about going after Hamas in the right way? Because we've had a lot, you know, we had a lot of back and forth during our own um, uh, uh, counterinsurgency efforts in, uh, you know, Iraq and in Afghanistan. And, you know, there was total war and there was, uh, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of variations on ultra-targeted, special ops-driven things. Uh, And the Israelis have chosen, you know, essentially, you know, as close to total war in this tiny area of Gaza as you could go, right? They're going in, they're going in blazing. They've got everything. They're drop, they've dropped more uh, tonnage of bombs on Gaza in the first four weeks of this thing than the U.S. dropped in its heaviest year across all of Afghanistan. So they're, that's, that's their approach. Is that the right approach? So first of all, thanks for having me on. Great to see, meet you and to see you again, brother. Um, I would say, and I know Mark remembers this, so right after 9-11, we had the same kind of reaction, right? It was bring back heads on a plate and a lot of uh, bravado. Um, and in some, in some ways, we overdid it and we had to adjust, uh, especially in Iraq. If you look at Iraq, uh, we went in very heavy, very hard, and then realized that we were going to create the very insurgency that we ended up creating. So we had to move to more of a, a coin approach. So specifically to this, obviously, uh, the October 7th uh, attacks were depraved, and anybody that would justify that, uh, I don't even think needs to be part of the discussion, um, period. And I won't repeat all the horrible things that happened there, but if you didn't have a chance to watch Secretary Blinken's testimony, he goes into some atrocities there are just really unspeakable. But then it is incumbent on every army in the world to follow the laws of armed conflict. And that means you have to have a a valid military target for a strike. You have to be, uh, be proportionate. You have to, you have to make sure that your military necessity isn't over ruled, if you will, by the amount of civilian casualties. And then C, I guess, is you have to try to avoid civilian casualties, period. Um, And I think, and, you know, I've reviewed this in depth for ABC, as you mentioned, I'm an analyst there. Um, These strikes have are occurring in places that I don't think we would have taken the strikes. Uh, And uh, they're using means of which um, do not seem consistent with trying to limit civilian casualties. And part of that, I don't want to get too technical, but part of that is they're using what's called ground-penetrating munitions um, because they're trying to take out the tunnels. And there's multiple different types of those. One of them has a very reinforced uh, nose, so it can bury itself in the ground before it detonates. The other one has two detonations. So it detonates first, so the second one can get up to 100 feet in the ground before it detonates. Right? Why am I saying that? Is because in a city you can cause the collapse of buildings really quickly. So 
there's a viable military reason to do that to, to collapse tunnels. Uh, but if you collapse tunnels and it's a hundred feet down, it can also bring the buildings in on it. I think, I think when, uh, Lieutenant General Gwen, who is, uh, not a friend of mine, but a friend of my, one of my business partners, real close friend, uh, went over there on behalf of the White House. He was taking a, me- a, me- a, a message, if you will, saying, Hey, we're totally with you trying to destroy Hamas, but this isn't the way to go about it. And General Glenn had fought in Mosul in 2016, which a lot of people are using as a comparison. And he brought uh, both a lot of lessons learned from there and some red teaming of the uh, Israeli, the IDF plan for what we're seeing right now on the ground. So I do think um, we have given them the message this is not the way they should conduct the campaign. And hopefully that will change. Uh, it will change a bit because they're now in the ground offensive in Gaza City. Right. And uh, but it but we'll see. And hopefully they take our advice because it's in their own interest. Not only is it legally required and morally necessary, it is in their own interest. Yeah, no question. But having said that, if you were going to bet on Bibi Netanyahu doing the thing that was in his own interest, in the country's own interest or to do the right thing uh, over the course of the past few years, you would have lost a lot of money. Uh, I, you know, Mark, I call this the. the yes, but strategy, you know, we go in, we say yes to the Israelis, but there's there's a way to do it right, and we want you to do it right. And the more they uh, ignore what we're saying, the bigger the but gets. So now I call it the big but strategy. Um, uh, <laughs> um, you could go a lot of places with the Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I know. And I don't mean to make light of it, but I do think, you know, sometimes we're having the wrong discussion. You know, where, you know, there's a discussion, you know, should there be, you know, it's like, you know, binary. Should we be, should they be there or should there be a ceasefire? And I think the real discussion is, should they be doing what they're doing or is there a better way to do it? Anyway, Mark, that I, you can react. That's why. No, no. So, so just a, a couple things on that. First of all, um, it's, it's great to have, you know, Mick on the show, not because he's a friend, not because I, I respect him um, deeply and we, we surf together in multiple places. Um, all those reasons are valid, but but your old job as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East, I mean, you would not be a part of this. You would be, in essence, the part of this discussion. Um, you know, so so you know exactly what's going on inside um, DOD and in policymaking and kind of trying to figure out what's what's going on. A, a couple observations on this, and I think Mick, you probably saw this. You know, I woke up on ten seven on October seventh. You know, early in the morning with about 55 messages from MSNBC, and they said, get on the air in five minutes. And I was half asleep in a hotel room in Harrisonburg. And I said, why? And they said, because Hamas just invaded Israel. Well, that's not really on your bingo card. But as, as things kind of started becoming clearer over a couple hours, my reaction, and, and, and I wonder yours as well, is, you know, knowing, and, and this is, of course, knowing the Israelis. You know, I, I worked in the region for a long time. I worked with all the security services. I spent a ton of time with the Israelis. And my reaction was, they're going to flatten Gaza now. Um, this is not condoning it. This is not condemning it. It's just, you know, they have a very different uh, uh, understanding, appreciation, or calculus for, civ- for civilian casualties and always have. And so, you know, I think the administration has, has done a, a pretty good job on this. But one of the things you see now in some of the press reports is, well, you know, we're, you know there, there's an article in the Washington Post today saying that, you know, in essence, we're a little bit surprised at the, at the civilian casualties, how they've conducted, how they go about their calculation. Well, none of us were in, in, in the region. But um, uh, and, and I guess that the question that I would have for you, and, and I think you gave a, a, a you know, you, you noted that you know, a former uh, or Marine general went over there. 
did, was there an expectation? Again, historically, this has not always been the case, but was there an expectation that Israel would actually listen? Um, and of course, they're an ally. But, you know, in my experience working with them and my experience watching them do things is they will they will take our advice. We will have very kind of great meetings. We'll have exchanges. And then very often they do what they believe is in their own interests. And so why it, why would Israel do that differently now, um, even with the hug from from President Biden and all the all what we're doing? Um, I just I just wonder if perhaps we overestimated our ability to influence. But, you know, your thoughts on that. So first, I had a similar experience when it happened, you know, with, with ABC, but also a lot of my IDF friends, right? So particularly, as you mentioned, I was uh, responsible for the Middle East on the Pentagon. We spent a lot of time there. And because my background is different than a lot of people in policy, uh, I think I had more candid discussions. Maybe maybe that's just my perception, but that's what they told me. You know, they, they know that I spend most of my time in conflict zones in the agency as a paramilitary guy. So I, they were very blunt, and I agree. I thought, I th- my thought, I like this is going to be. Not only did I think I knew what the IDF would do, but I, but I know Hamas did as well. Like nobody ever talks about these guys, right? I mean, other than being completely depraved, like this is set up. They knew what they do and the way they did it would cause this reaction, and then they already had set up tunnels under civilian infrastructure for years to basically hide behind them. And they're the ones that are highlighting the, the civilians that they, they pretend to be, uh, for protecting. So, uh, you know, there's, there's two sides of this, this coin. And I think we ought to talk a little bit more about the Hamas obligations to their own people since they were the governing body there or are the governing body there still. Uh, but to, to your point, did we expect them to shift, uh, and, and be a little, um, more, nuanced and specific before they were uh, go in there. I think because the United States is such a significant ally and partner to them because we do so much for them on security assistance fronts that it's likely that the people in the Pentagon believe that they would uh, at least uh, adjust to our concerns. And coming from the Pentagon, who has had to deal with, you know, politicians telling them to do things a certain way when they knew it, you know, they would like to do it perhaps another way, but they have to adjust based on, you know, realism, public perception, uh, international support. Uh, the, the Pentagon has is in that position all the time and talking to them by sending this uh, general who was in that position in Mosul. Uh, he wasn't in charge, but he was uh, a significant uh, leader there. Uh, I think I think we thought that they would take more of our advice into account. Um, I think. We, that's yet to be seen. We've seen pauses like yesterday. There was a four-hour pause to get civilians out, which um, many people, I would say, including myself, have been calling for since basically this started, that they needed to get as many civilians out of the north part of the country as possible. Now, the UN said it wasn't possible, and I used to advise the UN, but, and now we've seen a million people left the north. So it was not impossible, and it was in their interest to leave uh, the northern part of Gaza. There should have been a, a secure, um, protected path, uh, corridor, if you will, the humanitarian corridor to a safe area that all the humanitarian aid would just be free flowing into with no, with no, uh, uh, hesitation or disruption. That should have been done from the beginning. Now we're seeing it happen now. Secretary Blinken was saying that on his, uh, world or his regional tour yesterday. Uh, but I think 
Israelis definitely should support that. They should have supported that the entire time. It's not only in, you know, ethically the right thing to do to get civilians out of harm's way. It's in their own interest, right? Because they, they don't, it's not a military benefit to kill civilians. I mean, you're going to create more terrorists, uh, do, by doing that. So they should have been a proponent of that. And I'm not saying they weren't. I don't know the details of what happened. A proponent of that since day one to get as many civilians as they could out of the northern area where Gaza's concentrated, I mean, where, excuse me, where Hamas is concentrated uh, up in the north. So, you know, what's next? The, you know, it, it does not seem like the Israelis are taking in the U.S. advice. Uh, today, the uh, toll in Gaza passed 10,000, according to the, quote, health ministry. We know that's a Hamas-run entity, but we also know that they tend to get the numbers roughly right in international institutions, uh, uh, you know, uh, give, give those numbers some, some credence. Uh, so that's uh, seven times the number of people who were killed on October 7th. Uh, you know, the Biden administration wants to back the Israelis. But it does seem that the, you know, the sort of unaddressed arithmetic of this is that as that number goes up, a question gets posed. What if it's 10 times the number of Israelis? What if it's 15 times the number of Israelis? What if it's 20? You know, what? What? at what point do we have to distance ourselves from our own policy? So I think obviously there's a significant amount of pressure that's building on President Biden. I'm not a partisan person and I don't tend to get into politics. I'm, I'm nonpartisan, but uh, it's clear that he, his, his uh, first reaction, which was very common, especially to politicians, his generation was complete embrace, right? Uh, and now he's seeing that the consequences of this less than, um, specific targeted air campaign uh, has on his uh, on worldwide support. Right. So I think what we, I mean, what we need to focus on now is they are on the ground and we, they did essentially what we thought they would do, which is coming in with large um, heavy mechanized forces, tank, tank and, and infantry forces from the North piercing in from the midsection to try to sever around uh, Wadi Gaza. Uh, the both uh, the north and the south, which they've already done, and then they came in from the from the sea uh, to try to put them in a dilemma. And now they're kind of the constrictor effect, where they're slowly moving in uh, to the center. I bring that up because uh, you know urban fighting is horrible. I've been in it many times, and it's the most complicated and, quite frankly, uh, disoriented. But there's not a lot of airstrikes. Right. Because you start to get in places where if you're calling in certainly the type of munitions we already discussed, the chances of killing your own units are very high. So it gets really up close and personal. Right. Especially in tunnels. And they have hostages in tunnels. So the old way of dealing with hostages is seal them up and blow them up. Right. Can't do that. Can't do that because there's 240 uh, innocent civilians uh, probably in the tunnels. So this this fight is going to be less indirect, if you will. Right, airstrikes, large-scale artillery like the uh, Iron uh, Sting, and going to be much more close combat. So face-to-face, uh, handheld uh, weapon systems, anti-armor, 
anti-personnel, obviously rifles, stuff like that, and going into the tunnels, which has got to be uh, one of the worst places to fight an army when you're trying to rescue your own civilians. Uh, it's so I mean, it, and for the soldier, it's going to get way worse. As a, as a person who's been in that situation, it is it is extraordinarily violent. It's extraordinarily destructive, and it takes a long time. It was nine months to kill 9,000 ISIS terrorists in Mosul in 2016, and they didn't have 300 plus miles of tunnels, right? So uh, to, to your point of your question, David, I'm, I'm just saying that this is shifting uh, in a natural progression of this military campaign into something that will hopefully cause less civilian casualties. It's still hard to distinguish friend from foe when your enemy hides behind them. But it's going to be a face-to-face fight, and hopefully they won't be using a lot of these ground-penetrating munitions that I think has caused so much of the destruction that we've seen and civilian casualties. Mick, can we uh, can we just kind of switch just a little bit now and talk about? And again, this would exactly be what your um, your policymaking role um, would have been would have been like if you're sitting in your old seat. But what kind of intelligence and special operations um, support? You know, obviously, this has to be theoretical, but you know, you know, do you think the U.S. can can provide? We've seen reports that, for example, uh, MQ nine, uh, you know, uh, drones are flying host- in support of hostage rescue, uh, or in support of collecting intelligence. Um, the role of special operations forces, again, reports that there are advisors on the ground at the embassy, you know, uh, you know, working with uh, with the Israelis. I would also imagine there are forces prepositioned in the region in case there's. An evacuation of U.S. Embassy Beirut, for example. But what's you know what's your what what do you do in terms of you know the planning behind this, um, uh, and even you know with the notion of of even planning for uh, perhaps direct U.S. involvement down the line if things you know kick off further. You know you know what's what's your day looking like as your DAS D right now? Yeah, Mark. I think it's gonna. It would have been very similar to Dana Struls, who's who's uh, the current DASD for the Middle East, who's a friend of mine. Uh, I don't see. I don't think there would have been much of a different uh, approach, to be frank. I know some political folks would agree, disagree with me, but I think Secretary Mattis or Esper, the two that I work for, would have uh, and would have held some cre- uh, credibility when it comes to it's not just uh, you know whether you're going to fight this war. That's a, that's a given, but it's how you fight this war, and how you fight this war is is, is reflective on you uh, and and whether this is ever going to change. Right. So I do think that would have been a very similar and I'm sure I would have been there delivering the message as somebody who at least had understood, you know, the combat type situation in Gaza. The second thing I think we would have been doing is is what happened. I think uh, I think the administration was prudent to get those two aircraft carrier strike groups in the eastern Mediterranean, somewhat unprecedented to have two at the same time. Between them, there's 16 squadrons of fighter aircraft. There's about, I don't know how many destroyers now, but probably four destroyers with, uh, with significant capability. And then there's a Marine Expeditionary Unit, uh, going that way right now with an amphibious group. All that. I would, I would just, I would just interject that the administration also announced that there was an Ohio class submarine in the area, which yes. is very, very unusual for them to announce, right? It is absolutely, David. So the Ohio class submarine, we have four. Uh, and policy people know this. I mean, we have to know what the capabilities are to be able to help adjust, right? We have military uh, experts assigned to our office, but we have four. And they didn't say which one this was, but there's 154 cruise missiles on this. 154, 
right? So it is a significant uh, asset uh, that uh, if, if Hezbollah is not scared of it, they're or saying they're not scared of it, they're lying, right? So this is a significant pl- plus up, including our plus up our defenses in Syria and Iraq. I think that was very prudent. And right now, it looks like it has deterred based on Nasrallah's, uh, you know, speech somewhat uh, Hezbollah from joining. Although he did say if Hamas begins to lose, they would be essentially joining the fight, which I think most people assess is accurate. But I think that would be another part of what we'd be doing on the policy side, as well as, as and this would be the hardest part for sure, is continuing to keep our partners and allies in the region close enough to us so that we can get through this and start looking at the next phase, which Secretary Blinken has been talking about, right? Uh, in, in, uh, in peace, prepare for war, and in war, prepare for peace. You know, so Sun Tzu saying that, I think, is something that we ought to be doing a lot of to try to uh, bring in some of the critics. A lot of it's valid, but not just to be critics, to get off the, you know, out of the benches and start talking about what's the next phase for how to change this in the future. Because uh, I think that is a big part of what policy, mostly the State Department, but backed up by the DOD, uh, Office of Secretary of Defense Policy people on, okay, this is going to happen. Hamas likely will be uh, destroyed and we can get into how likely that will be. But after that, what are we going to do? International peacekeeping force. There's talk of this Arab Legion that secretaries brought up. Um, what about a massive uh, uh, international fund to rebuild Gaza? I mean, People just want to focus on on what's happening now, and that's their choice. But there should be a sizable effort to plan what comes next. From what I've heard, the U.S. is like one of the only groups talking about it. But I think we should be talking about it, and we should keep pressing our, including Israel, who, who from what I heard, uh, was not too interested in having that discussion, but they should be. Yeah, ex- ex- excellent, excellent point, uh, central point, I think. Um, that does not get sufficient uh, discussion. This is the point in our show where we take a break and we uh, say thanks to everybody who's joined us who's not a member and say, you know, if you remember, you could listen to the whole podcast plus all of our other podcasts, uh, which is, you know, a lot of bonus content for only $5 a month. And it's really easy to be a member. You just go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership and um, sign up five bucks a month. So we should do that, and then you can hear the rest of this podcast. For now, if you're not a member, bye-bye. If you are a member, stand by. 